for scripture reading today. Oops. Exodus 8, 1 to 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and onto your people and into your ovens and the kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all of your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, it'll be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Thanks, Sharon, for reading that for us. Uh, I went and got a COVID test this week, and I got 50. I, I don't know what that means, 50. I also did an IQ test, and it came back positive, <laughs> which is good, because I was afraid I was going to have a negative IQ. Uh, about 50 years ago now, someone uh, played a clip, well, a, a cassette recording of, uh, to me for this, uh, this famous sermon called uh, One More Night with the Frogs. A very, very famous sermon. I uh, preached uh, back in Chicago or Detroit uh, in a big African-American church congregation. And you could hear the, the pastor was really giving it. And uh, you could hear the congregation in behind hooping and hollering. And a very famous sermon. And I imagine some of the older people here must have heard about it. So about five years ago, I thought, you know, I should see if I could find this sermon. And I googled, and I, I found a, a cool Sunday school picture. Uh, but no sermon. So I, no problem. I'll ask, I have a bunch of pastor friends. I'll ask them, where, you know, how, how do I find this sermon? And not only had did they not know where to find it? They'd never even heard of this sermon. Turns out this famous sermon wasn't famous at all. And I don't think anybody here has ever heard about it. So now you got what I had. Sunday school picture, 
passage of scripture and a title, One More Night with the Frogs. So here we go. One More Night with the Frogs. So let's start with a question. When would you like to begin experiencing God's power and presence in your life? When do you want to experience his forgiveness? When do you want him to reach out in power in your lives? When would you want to experience his saving presence, his healing presence? When do you want to experience his guiding voice or experience his peace? And some of us might say, oh, what a silly question is that? Wouldn't everybody say right now? I want to experience God's power in my life right now. Well, we might be surprised even by ourselves. Consider the story that we just read in Exodus. Exodus chapter 8, we read about Pharaoh's answer to that very question. The background is that God had come to Moses and said, go lead my people out of uh, Egypt. So me, uh, Moses went and relayed the message to uh, Pharaoh but Pharaoh was stubborn. Uh, the Israelites were his slave force. And they viewed themselves as superior to the Israelites and their God as superior, or their gods as superior to the God of the Hebrews. And so as a result of Pharaoh's stubbornness, God sent a series of plagues upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian people that totally destroyed uh, Egypt and Egypt's army. Ten plagues in total each one aimed at one of Egypt's gods. Chapter 8 describes the, uh, the plague of frogs, which is um, the, second fro uh, the second plague. And this is no ordinary in, uh, infestation. There's frogs everywhere. Frogs in their beds, frogs in their ovens, frogs in their, in their uh, pots and pans. And Pharaoh finally is going nuts. He's saying, Moses, get rid of these frogs for us. Please get rid of the frogs. Uh, by the way, what kind of shoes did the Egyptians wear during this period of time? Open-toed. Uh, I, I know, that's pretty bad, right? Maybe I do have a negative IQ. I, I don't get it. No, I know. Uh, Moses, uh, notice what Moses said to Pharaoh. Moses, uh, this is uh, uh, verse 9. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for the ones that remain in the Nile where, where they belong. Tomorrow, said Pharaoh, Moses replied, it'll be as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So Moses says, Pharaoh, you set the time for us to get rid of the frogs. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Not today, tomorrow. Give me one more night with the frogs. Why would anyone want to spend another night with the frogs? Often, like Pharaoh... We get to decide when we start to experience God's powerful working in our lives. Now, I'm going to venture a guess that some of us here this morning have frogs in our lives. Some things that plague us, 
that annoy us, that drive us crazy, things that keep us from experiencing God's best for our lives. Now, I don't know what your frogs look like. Your frogs might be relationships that you know you need to end because they are damaging for you emotionally and spiritually. Maybe your frogs are difficulty just in establishing relationships in the first place. Maybe your frogs are spiritual. A bitter root that's grown up and taken hold of your life. Or maybe it's a demonic presence. Maybe your frogs are habits that you've allowed to take over your life. I don't know what your frogs are, but we all struggle with frogs from time to time. We've heard promises of God over and over again, and we want to experience them in our lives. For example, Jesus said, if you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, all these things, the, the things that we need, will be given to you. Or he said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly than you've ever had before. Or he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Or Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or the prophet Malachi says, put God to the test. The only place in the Bible that says put God to the test. Put God to the test. Bring your full tithe into the storehouse and see if God won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and shower blessing upon your lives. Now I could go on and on with well-known promises. Promises we hear over and over again. Promises we want to experience. We want to experience the truth of them in our lives. But for some reason, we say to Pharaoh, tomorrow. Or we say like Pharaoh, we say to God, tomorrow. Not today, tomorrow. Second question. What frogs are you putting off dealing with until tomorrow? Our, our problem is like Pharaoh, we sometimes say tomorrow to God. Tomorrow. Tomorrow I will say yes and make you Lord of my life. Tomorrow I'll get my prayer life together. Tomorrow I'll set aside time to study your word. Tomorrow I'll offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me. Tomorrow I'll seek forgiveness from those that I've hurt. Tomorrow, Lord. Tomorrow I'll get involved in that ministry that I know you're prompting me for towards. Tomorrow. Not today. Tomorrow. The question we need to ask ourselves is why do we want to spend one more night with our frogs? Why do we say tomorrow to God? Three reasons. We want more time to figure it out ourselves, to solve it on our own. Certainly Pharaoh thought that. Maybe he believed that he could figure out some way to get rid of the frogs if he just had one more night. Then he wouldn't have to submit himself to God. We often think that way too. Like the woman who wrestles with alcohol. Who uh, initially it just started off as a drink here and there. And then it got to the point where she needed a couple of drinks to make it through the day. And when family and friends start to talk to her about you know, their concerns... Oh, no, no, I've got this. I'll take care of this myself. Or the, the family man who, whose life is really unbalanced. He's spending all his time at work and never with his kids and family. And when people start, uh, talk to him about it, you know, how, how unbalanced his life is, he gets defensive. 
they warn about possible consequences. And no, 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 I'll, I'll figure this out myself. We want more time to figure things out ourselves. Secondly, we're afraid of the consequences of following God. We're afraid of what we think God might require of us if we say yes to him. Pharaoh wasn't used to paying the consequences. He had all kinds of people around about him that he ordered around. And if there was any consequences to be paid, they had to pay it, not him. Since he was unwilling to submit to God's will and pay the consequences, he never experienced God's powerful presence working for him. And third reason we, we say tomorrow to God is we don't want to humble ourselves. Like Pharaoh, we struggle with humility and submission to God. Satan comes into our lives or wither, uh, sneak, uh, sneaks his way in and tempts us to disbelieve and disobey God, misleading us to believe that we don't need him anymore. And we become self-centered and begin living for ourselves. If we want to experience God's power and presence in our lives, we have to humble ourselves and place God back in control of our lives. What if Pharaoh had said today? I want the frogs gone today. Then Moses would have prayed right there in front of, in front of Pharaoh. Right then and there. And he would have seen the frogs start to die right there. You know, mid-hop. <laughs> and Pharaoh would have to admit, God is awesome and powerful. And I have to submit myself to him. But if I say tomorrow, then Moses leaves and sometime tomorrow, he prays. And sometime tomorrow, the frogs start to die. But are they connected? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe God isn't so powerful, and maybe I don't have to submit myself to him. And if I say tomorrow, I for sure don't have to submit myself to him today. We say tomorrow to God... Because we want more time to figure it out ourselves. We're afraid of the consequences of what might happen if we say yes. And we don't want to humble ourselves before God. Now, the Bible also gives us some real good reasons to stop saying tomorrow and to start saying today to God. I'll give you two. We continue, if we continue to say tomorrow to God, our plagues might get a whole lot worse. Pharaoh's plagues didn't end with the frogs. In fact, that was just the second plague out of ten. They got worse of gnats and locusts and boils and the death of his cattle and hail and finally the death of his son. In hindsight, he probably regretted saying tomorrow to God. The person who struggles with alcohol has less and less success in, in controlling it until one day her boss calls her in and says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. Her plagues suddenly got a lot worse, didn't they? Was actually, I was talking to a friend from Manitoba, and he, uh, he hired a mutual friend who, who struggles with alcohol. And he, he, he said to me recently, it was just getting too dangerous around here. And I had to let him go. 
our plagues can get worse. Or the man who continues to live an unbalanced life, ignoring his family and his wife, one day comes home with a, to a note on the table that says, we're gone. Suddenly his plagues got a whole lot worse. Why are we surprised when the, the results of our indecision of, of putting things off? The, the scripture has some interesting things to say about putting things off for tomorrow, till tomorrow. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, handle today's trouble, handle today's decisions today. Or Proverbs, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. When we put things off for tomorrow, our place could get a whole lot worse. Secondly, tomorrow may never come. James 4 says this, Now listen, you who say tomorrow, or today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We might be gone tomorrow. Sometimes we say tomorrow to God, and then tomorrow we say tomorrow again. And it's, it's never today, it's always tomorrow. We keep putting it off, putting it off. And the reality is that when we say tomorrow to God, what we really mean is not today. For many of us, tomorrow never comes. Jesus had a word to describe those who put everything off till tomorrow. He, he describes a, a man who builds bigger and bigger barns to store all the stuff for tomorrow. And then he says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. The man died before tomorrow came. And so the question becomes, what kind of things are you procrastinating with on your, in your life? Are you prepared to stop putting them off until tomorrow? Why or why not? Now, some of us here might object to this sermon and say, Russ, this sermon sounds like a lot of nonsense to me. I want God to work in my life. In fact, I've been calling for it. I want him to heal me. I want him to change the circumstances of my life. I want him to do amazing things in my life. This sermon doesn't make sense because I choose now. I want to see God do something and I want to see him do it now. I've been praying for years and nothing happens. Nothing changes. God doesn't show up. This sermon seems like nonsense. Well, thanks for sharing. That's pretty honest, isn't it? My, my answer and my response is, often when we look to God to do something in our lives, we look on our own terms. We know what we want God to do, but maybe he has other plans, and we simply don't recognize what God wants to do. An example, we pray for healing for, from a disease. And we're not healed. And we say, see, Russ, I told you. I told you God wasn't going to show up. 
Sometimes that's because God wants to do something other than what we're asking for. Sometimes he wants to address a heart issue like bitterness or unforgiveness. I've seen this lots of times. Maybe one of the most drastic times was uh, when I was pastor in Morden. I got a call from the MB pastors from Carmen, which is a town just half an hour down the road. And he says, can you come and help me? I, I got this lady I don't, I don't know what to do with. Uh, she's got this shoulder pain. She, she wants me to pray for her shoulder, but I, I think she's been to every other church in town and had gone everywhere, and everybody's prayed for her. Nothing's helped. And I told her that maybe you'd come and we'd do this together. All right, then. So off I go. And, uh, you know, this is a long time ago, so I'm not 100% sure what I said and what the other pastor said. Uh, but this is kind of how the, how the whole thing went. We, we went, we met with her, she came in, we... About 10, 15 minutes, we get to know her a little bit. And finally, we get to that bit about the shoulder pain. And she's explaining she wants us to, to pray for her shoulder. And one of us said, it might have been me, but probably the other guy. Probably. One of us said, yeah, I don't think praying for your shoulder is going to help any. In fact, I think it's going to be a waste of breath. It was a good thing her shoulder was pretty sore. She might have punched us otherwise. But you know, what kind of pastor are you? And the answer is realistic. Because I have a hard time believing that God is going to heal you when your heart is so filled of hatred and bitter, bitterness towards your ex-husband. And that caught her by surprise. And after a couple of seconds, she said, okay, let's, let's deal with this. And we led her through a process where uh, she forgave her ex-husband. And he was a real piece of work if even just half of what she said was true. Not that she was a little princess either. But we, we went through, and, and it was real, it was, it was intense, and it was extremely emotional. And when we were finished, one of us said, okay, I think we can pray for your shoulder now. And she says, okay, let's do this. And then she says, well, wait a minute. It's all good. It doesn't hurt anymore at all. And she did all kinds of things. She says, shoulder is good. Now, that's the last time I ever saw her. I don't, so I don't know if the pain stayed shoulder, or the shoulder stayed pain-free. Nor do I know if she allowed a root of bitterness to grow up in her heart again towards her ex-husband. You know, in fact, I, I've seen that kind of thing happen quite often too. Where a person will choose between, you know, walking in freedom or holding bitterness and pain. And will choose the pain and bitterness because it's more fun to hate my ex than it is to let him off the hook. Hmm. Build a permanent room in their house for their frogs. Frogs moved in permanently. This I know. Sometimes we say tomorrow to God by saying today to God in areas other than the one that he's working in. We want him to heal our shoulder 
And he wants to deal with the root of bitterness that's growing up in our lives. Or we want him to heal our abuse of alcohol. And he wants us to forgive the painful situations that arose in our lives from our childhood. Now consider this. God has a wonderful day for those who will say yes to him. It's really a simple process of receiving God's presence and power in our lives by accepting his plans for us today. First of all, we need to trust that God's ways are always best. I think one of the most difficult things for us to accept is that God's ways, no matter what he's asking us to do, God's ways are better than our own ways. Sometimes we cling to our problems because we think our ways are better than his. In reality, our breakthroughs come only when we let God be God by trusting in his ways. Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And finally, God has a wonderful day for those who will say yes to his lordship daily. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his, God's kingdom, God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The problem with Pharaoh isn't that he wouldn't say yes to God. It's he, he'd say yes and then he'd change his mind and take it back and turn it to a no. How many of us do the same thing? If we're going to rely upon him, we have to be ready to say yes to him each and every day. I end with a story. A story told by a youth pastor who took his youth group on a mission trip in southern Florida. And the main thing they were doing was random acts of kindness where they were um, um, handing out things to, uh, uh, to people. They, they handed out Cokes. Uh, on a hot day. So it was uh, the last day of the mission trip, a, a, a Friday afternoon. It was hot. And there they were in the parking lot of a, a, a grocery store, a Winn-Dixie grocery store, handing out Cokes as a practical expression of God's love to people. And there was one of the kids with a guy named Scott, a uh, surfer dude, 14-year-old, dangly earring, uh, his name was Scott, but everybody called him Skunkhead because he had black hair. And he dyed a white stripe down the center of it. And so there was Skunkhead and his friends handing out Cokes. And uh, this hillbilly type uh, guy drives up in his pickup truck, you know, with the gun rack. and the, He's wearing bib overalls and the whole shooting shebang. And so uh, Scott walks up to him and says, you know, would you like a Coke? And this guy took, takes one look at Scott and says, yeah, no thanks. But as he turns to leave, he sees all these other kids handing out coke. And so he turns back and says, like, what are you guys doing? Who are you? What are you doing? And Scott explained that they were Christians and they were just doing a, a random acts of kindness and uh, to uh, express, show people God's love for them. And the guy said, you know, that's really cool. Someday I plan to get right with God. And he turns to leave. And Scott reaches out, grabs the guy by the back of his coveralls, pulls him back and says, 
That's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So what are you going to do? Get in your truck and drive away and get in a car accident and go to hell just because you didn't want to take the time to get right with God? And the pastor, he's looking at this and, oh no, Scott's going to get thumped. But the guy was so shocked. He said, what do I do? What do I do? And Scott said, well, you need to confess your sins and get right with God. Invite Christ into your life. And, and the guy said, well, how do I do that? And so, Scott says, get on your knees. And so here's Scott and this guy in the parking lot praying, confessing sins and inviting Christ into their lives. And the question that comes to mind for me is, why would we want to put off till tomorrow some of the most important decisions in our lives? Why would we want to do that? Now my guess is, some of us here this morning know exactly, we know exactly what God wants us to do. We've probably known for a while already. But we keep saying tomorrow. And Jesus says, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make our commitments. And so I leave you with a question. Why would you want to spend one more night with your frogs? Why not deal with them today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and love in our lives. I thank you how when we say yes to you, you come and demonstrate that you are God, that you are powerful, that you work in our lives. Some of us might be struggling today with can we trust you? Can we commit ourselves to you? Can we make that commitment that we feel you nudging us towards? And Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to give us the power, give us the joy to follow you wholeheartedly and completely today. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.